Before we begin today's episode, I just wanted to say that it was recorded quite a while ago, as in before I had all the proper equipment. So it might not all sound as good as it usually does. With that being said, you probably won't be able to tell the difference. And if I'm honest, I only put this disclaimer because my producer said I had to. So yeah, enjoy. Air traffic controllers, controllers. the guardians of the runway, runway. and surrounding five mile radius. radius. Watching over everything from their 360-degree glass penthouse. You've definitely heard of them. You've probably seen them. And maybe you even know one. I'm Ori Kagan. And on this episode of Things You Don't Need to Know, passion, procedure, and even disaster. We're talking air traffic control. Our story begins in February. It's a frigid Friday morning. And when I get into my car, the clock reads 5.55 a.m. From my car, I catch a bus, and from a bus, I catch a train, and from a train, I get an Uber, a nearly four-hour commute to visit my friend's dad, Frank, who's an air traffic controller. When I arrive at Frank's house, he's working on a car. This is one of the many things he's taken up since retiring. He actually helped me out with my first car before I bought it, walked me through the process of transferring a title making it clear to me that every last detail must be absolutely perfect. Something you have to understand about Frank is that he's a guy who has a lot of stories and has lived more than a few lifetimes, but when I turn on my recorder, he's very careful with his words. So tell me a little bit about your high school and college. I know you went to aviation high school. Yes, actually I've had an interest in aviation since I was 10 years old. That was the first time I got on an airplane went to Europe, and I said, this is for me. Frank attended Aviation High School. That's actually the name of the school. It's here in New York. They're an FAA, that's Federal Aviation Administration Certified Program, which, according to their website, was developed and expanded with the evolution of the aviation industry. All shop teachers were former military, either World War II or Vietnam. We had a hangar. It's the only high school in New York with, with an actual hangar with real airplanes. We had military surplus airplanes. We had aircraft coming from Vietnam with actual bullet holes in it and everything. I think it was the only high school that had six floors of escalators. School had escalators. I really, I ran with it. I uh, did very good in school. It was here where he learned to fix airplanes. I got my airframe and power plant mechanics license from there, which is, it's an FAA license. It's a federal license. So I still have it. He began his career as a line mechanic, working on various planes such as 727s, Airbuses, DC-8s, 707s. Do you have a favorite type of aircraft? A favorite? Yeah, I like the P-51 Mustang. It's just the power of it, the speed of it. It's a 12-cylinder piston engine airplane. It's a real, it was one of our fastest and most powerful fighter planes of World War II. A gigantic fighter battle raged across the European skies with victories by our fighters alone. Enemy warplanes of every kind, and in fantastic numbers, were splashed all over the landscape of northwestern Germany. Frank went to college in Florida, but upon his return, decided to get his pilot's license. You start with your private pilot's license, then you go to, to, for your commercial pilot, then you get your instrument rating, and then eventually, you know, you build up time as a flight instructor, then you get a job with a commuter airline, you know, flying passengers, and it's all to build up time to eventually get an airline job. Back in the 70s and 80s, it was very hard to get an airline job, but 
Now there's actually a shortage of pilots. It's a prime time for a young person to, to get into it. Did you ever fly a commercial? I flew for Eastern Airlines, but it was short-lived. It was maybe six, seven months. They went out of business, like most, some airlines. Look, Pan Am went out of business, TWA went out of business. You know, they go bankrupt. So it was short-lived, and I realized that, you know, the airline business, you weren't making any kind of real salary, so to support a family, if you could, you know, it wasn't, it was very hard. This led Frank to explore other jobs. There was openings at the FAA, Federal Aviation Administration for Air Traffic Controllers, and I took it. I figured this was more of a secure thing. It's aviation, it's right there, and I got it. And I worked in Kennedy Airport, and I loved it. Now would probably be a good time to tell you that being an air traffic controller is one of the most stressful jobs in the world. It requires your absolute focus at all times, and thousands of lives are depending on you, which is why the mandatory retirement age is 56. It was shift work. It was three different shifts, 7 in the morning to 3 in the afternoon, 3 in the afternoon to 11 at night, 11 at night to 7 in the morning. So it was 24-7. I liked it. I really did. I looked at airplanes all day long. And when I wanted to fly or be a flight instructor, I did that too. Get in, you know, everyone works with their own. It's like a crew. Summertime, it was really busy because you got a lot of people traveling. So sometimes you had other people from another crew come and work with you. But everybody had their position and everyone had their job. Where did you fit into that? Were you the head guy? No, I was never the head guy. No. What, there were more seasoned guys. What was, your, what was your day-to-day I worked certain. I worked certain positions um, from clearance delivery to giving the pilots their clearances where they're going, how they're gonna get there. What we typically think of as air traffic control is really just tower control. They're responsible for a five mile radius around the airport. Working beside them is ground control, which is responsible for all the airport's grounded planes, anything taxiing, basically everything that's not in the air. Once a plane has taken off and left tower control, it passes on to air route control, which manages all air traffic except that near airports. I just wanted to make it clear that ground control is not the people on the taxiways, the little orange batons moving the planes around. Those are marshalers. Ground control is directly related to air traffic control and works in the air traffic control tower. What's the process for landing a plane or, or a takeoff? What's, what's your, what do you do? to facilitate that? It depends what you're flying. Every aircraft is different. You know, you're gonna, you're gonna get your clearance to taxi out. You're gonna know what your active runway is. You're gonna communicate, follow the air traffic controllers, instructions, which way to go. So he's basically telling you how to get to, to that runway that you're departing from. Get in, in position on a runway that's not a clearance to take off, and then eventually you're cleared to take off. And there are departure instructions, or maybe you requested a different type of departure. Instead of turning left, you want to turn right, or you just want to go a straight out departure. That's all stuff coordinated with air traffic. And then, you know, once you leave that area, you, you hand it to a departure person that's could be in a different facility, and you're en route to your destination and what, how you planned on getting there. It's because of this that even the smallest mistake could mean delays or even disaster, which is why it's crucial that there is absolute communication between the pilots and air traffic control. Phraseology is a key thing. How would you tell someone that they're cleared for takeoff? 
whatever your numbers are. Jetstream 1234 Foxtrot clears for takeoff. So you have your inbounds landing on runway and you have the departures taking off another. So there has to be unison in it. it you know, it has to work out. You're not going to clear an airplane to land until there's nothing on the runway. Quite a few emergency situations, but they all um, worked out on the end. Some of them didn't, some of them were fatal. I don't want to get into the specifics of it. Is that on? Uh, yes, right now. Just shut it off for a minute. I want to say something. Frank begins to tell me about how when you accept a position as an air traffic controller, you take an oath stating that everything that happens on the job will be kept a secret. This is a federal position, and he can't think of any stories that wouldn't divulge or expose flaws in the system, which could lead to national security issues. We talked about it for about 30 minutes, and he eventually decided that he didn't want to share anything. So I packed up my stuff and headed home. A few days later, I was making myself lunch when the phone rang. It was Frank. Hello? Ari? Yes. How are you? Good. How are you? Good. Okay. So, Google Avianca Flight 052, I believe, is what, you know, the notorious cover-up. Okay. Is this going to be is this going to be anything that I can put on the podcast or is Yeah. Okay, yeah. great. Yeah, that's why I I was referring him to you. Okay, perfect. I'll read into it and then I'll give you a call back in about an hour. Okay, all right, cool. Talk to you then. All that and more after the break. There's a lot happening these days, but I have just the thing to get you up to speed on what matters without taking too much of your time. The 7 from the Washington Post is a podcast that gives you the seven most important and interesting stories, and we always try to save room for something fun. You get it all in about seven minutes or less. I'm Hannah Jewell. I'll get you caught up with The 7 every weekday. So follow The 7 right now. You may have heard of the podcast Juicy Scoop. Wondered what it is? Why aren't you listening? Well, I'm its host. Created it. Been doing it for seven years. I'm Heather McDonald of Juicy Scoop with Heather McDonald. Now, I could tell you why you should be listening to my show, but my listeners wanted to write the ad for me, and here are some of the things they said. Not your regular Juicy podcast. Catch up on all the juicy topics from Hollywood and pop culture to true crime and beyond. Heather McDonald's Juicy Scoop always has great guests, great laughs, and great gossip. It's a comedian's take on the hottest headlines. Juicy Scoop is the pop culture news you want to hear. No BS, no filter, no filler. Raw, real, and in the moment. Throw in the hilarity of amazing comedians that you'll instantly be obsessed with, a juicy crime story, and a dash of normal life in L.A. moments, and you've got yourself an amazing week of Juicy Scoop. Two episodes every week, every Tuesday and Thursday. It will never let you down. Avianca Flight 152 was their regularly scheduled departure from Bogota, Colombia to JFK, New York via Medellin. But on January 25, 1990, after not being able to land for hours, the plane came down in the small rural community of Coves Neck, New York on Long Island. Aerial photography shows the plane quite literally in someone's backyard, roughly two football fields from a house. Out of the 149 passengers and nine crew member on board, 85 survived. This is largely due to the fact that because the airplane had run out of fuel, 
there was no explosion. When the FAA concluded their investigation over a year later, they found the pilots and the flight engineer were at fault, stating that they weren't clear enough with air traffic control that this was indeed an emergency. Conveniently, all three of these people died in the crash. And you were in the tower on the night of this? I was next to the guy, the, the, tower, the tower controller works in down and he owns the runway. See, that time I was working ground control. I'm in charge of the aircraft moving on the ground. And from the tower, even though the aircraft doesn't see the runway, the tower sees the airplane because of his position lights and all of that. If you're looking at that airplane with binoculars, I've done this before with another controller. It could be done, but this controller just refused to do it. He didn't want the responsibility. I was all over between New Jersey and Long Island, back and forth, like a yo-yo. Now, how many times are you gonna bang this guy around in the sky? <clears throat> Actually, I'll never forget it because it became a whole debate between me and him. I told him, just put him on a fucking runway. My argument was if the controller just told him maintain your descent rate and your airspeed, you're gonna touch the runway. So are you violating regulations? Yeah, you kinda are. The rule is you gotta see runway environment, lights. You gotta see something associated with the runway that you're landing on. But, you know, what do you do? You let the airplane run out of fuel and crash into a residential area, or you let them crash on a runway. These are things that are not supposed to be discussed, talked about because it makes, you know, certain people look like shit, which some people do deserve to look like shit. Uh, starting with that controller, because they must have been told 20 times to declare an emergency and he refused to do it. He laughed about it. Basically, his attitude was, it's not my fucking problem. Well, it became your fucking problem pretty quick. That guy was gone after that. It's tragedies like this which remind you just how much it all hangs in the balance. Had the tower controller done something different, it could have turned out much better, or much worse. Frank has a lot of pride and respect for his co-workers. He understands the stress of the job and doesn't want to criticize anyone he worked with, even 30 years later. It's like a team, a brotherhood. Given how much time has passed, I got the sense that it was less about exposing flaws in air traffic control, flaws that were most definitely fixed by now, and more about not wanting to relive these tense and sometimes tragic moments. The reality of it is, Frank, a hard-boiled air traffic controller, still thinks about that fateful night over three decades later. And it was just one day on the job. Okay, so now that I know just how difficult being an air traffic controller is, I'm going to attempt to do it myself. For this experiment, I've built an airport on a piece of scrap paper. I'm gonna name it Great Valley Airport. The airplane is represented by what appears to be an Ikea screw. If you paid attention last time you took a flight, you would have probably noticed that runways aren't actually labeled, say one, two, three, and this is because runways are named based on the degrees of a compass. North being 360 degrees, east being 90 degrees, south being 180 degrees, and west being 270 degrees. They then take a zero off the end of each of these measurements, leaving you able to name a runway anything between 1 and 36. This just makes it a lot easier for pilots to find the correct approach. 
For example, if your runway was located northeast at 40 degrees, it would simply be named runway 4. So for our scrap paper airport's parallel runways, which run east to west, taking off or landing from the east would mean you're on runway 9L or 9R, and taking off or landing from the west would mean you're on runway 27L or 27R. L and R, of course, correspond to left and right. If you have three parallel runways, you have L, C, and R, left, right, center. Taxiways are labeled with letters as to not confuse with runways. We've got two different sets, A Alpha and B Bravo. Then all the different subsections, Alpha 1, 2, 3, and 4, and so on for the B side. Lastly, we've labeled the Terminal T or Tango with gates 1 through 6. In aviation, everyone must speak English and use the phonetic alphabet to avoid any confusion. Today's flight will be operated by my dad. His airline will be called David, which is his name, and he will be operating flight 59, which is how old he is. So if you're waiting in the terminal, staring at the display, feeling a little frustrated because this flight is in fact delayed due to an unfortunate cat food accident, I have great news. We would now like to ask everyone to board, and I'll hand this over to myself in the control tower. Are you ready to try and take off? I'm gonna give it a try. All right. Great Valley Ground, Delta 59, departing from Tango 4, requesting takeoff on 27L. Delta 59, proceed to Bravo 1 via Bravo 3. Delta 59, proceed to Bravo 1 via Bravo 3. At this point, the aircraft leaves the gate and taxis over to almost the runway, at which point it switches its radio from ground control to tower control. Great Valley Tower, Delta 59 requesting takeoff on 27L. Delta 59, line up and wait. Now the aircraft lines up on the runway and awaits further instruction. Delta 59, cleared for takeoff. Delta 59, cleared for takeoff. Well, hopefully that was good enough. I'm sure some pilot's going to say that we're totally wrong, but well, we tried our best, you know. Neither of us are pilots we're or so air traffic controllers. <laughs> <laughs> Luckily, we're not actually flying. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> All right, well, now your plane has to land, so you're going to request a landing. Great Valley Tower, Delta 59, requesting runway from uh, Catskill Mountains. I don't think that would work. <laughs> okay. Great Valley Tower, Delta 59 over Memorial Park, requesting landing from the east. Delta 59, this is Great Valley Tower. Proceed for landing on 9 left. Delta 59, proceeding for landing on 9 left. All right, so you land. You land the plane. Everybody claps. Uh, <laughs> including me. <laughs> and uh, so now you're going you're gonna to communicate to ground. Great Valley Ground, Delta 59 requesting taxi to Tango 4. Delta 59, proceed to Tango 4 via Alpha 1 to Alpha 3. Delta 59, proceeding to Tango 4 via Alpha 1 to Alpha 3. And you got everyone to the terminal. Well... <sighs> We wrote all this out, and it was hard to figure it out. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, I'm sure you get the hang of it, but it give, definitely gives me a lot more respect for anyone flying a plane. Yeah, it makes me wonder why there aren't more, like, collisions on the taxi. <laughs> yeah. Well, there you have it. Next time you're in an airport and they yell, Is anyone an air traffic controller? You can raise up that hand, take the job with confidence, and calm everyone's nerves by telling them that you learned how to do it on my podcast. Thanks for listening.
Things You Don't Need to Know is a hyperobject and three uncanny four production. The show is hosted and written by myself and produced by Harry Nelson and Ari Kagan. That's me. Additional help from Shane McKeon and Nuna Sharafadine. Our executive producers are Adam McKay and Laura Mayer. The show is mixed by Nice Manners. If you like things you don't need to know, head over to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts and hit subscribe. Also, if you leave a review, I'll give you two round-trip tickets to a destination of my choosing. Not through the Bermuda Triangle, I hope. Anyway, see you next week.